Chapter Nine of the Gold Hunters by J. D. Borthwick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Chapter Nine Gold is Where You Find It. We worked our claim very successfully for about six weeks, when the creek at last became so dry that we had not water enough to run our long tom, and the claim was rendered for the present unavailable. It, of course, remained good to us for next season, but as I had no idea of being there to work it, I sold out my interest to my partners, and, throwing mining to the dogs, I broke out in a fresh place altogether. I had always been in the habit of amusing myself by sketching in my leisure moments, especially in the middle of the day, for an hour or so after dinner, when all hands were taking a rest nooning as the miners call it lying in the shade in the full enjoyment of their pipes or taking a nap my sketches were much sought after and on sundays i was beset by men begging me to do something for them every man wanted a sketch of his claim or his cabin or some spot with which he identified himself and as they offered to pay very handsomely I was satisfied that I could make paper and pencil much more profitable tools to work with than pick and shovel. My new pursuit had the additional attraction of affording me an opportunity of gratifying the desire which I had long felt of wandering over the mines and seeing all the various kinds of diggings and the strange specimens of human nature to be found in them. I sent to Sacramento for a fresh supply of drawing paper, for which I had only to pay the moderate sum of two dollars and a half, ten shillings sterling, a sheet, and finding my old brother miners very liberal patrons of the fine arts, I remained some time in the neighborhood, actively engaged with my pencil. I then had occasion to return to Hangtown. On my arrival there, I went as usual to the cabin of my friend the doctor, which I found in a pretty mess. The ground on which some of the houses were built had turned out exceedingly rich, and thinking that he might be as lucky as his neighbors, the doctor had got a party of six miners to work the inside of his cabin on half shares. He was to have half the gold taken out, as the rights of property in any sort of house or habitation in the mines extend to the mineral wealth below it. In his cabin were two large holes, six feet square and about seven feet deep. In each of these were three miners, picking and shoveling or washing the dirt in rockers with the water pumped out of the holes. When one place had been worked out, the dirt was all shoveled back into the hole and another one commenced alongside of it. They took about a fortnight in this way to work all the floor of the cabin, and found it very rich. There was a young southerner in Hangtown at this time, who had brought one of his slaves with him to California. They worked and lived together, master and man, sharing equally the labors and hardships of the mines. One night the slave dreamed that they had been working the inside of a certain cabin in the street and had taken out a great pile of gold. 
he told his master in the morning but neither of them thought much of it as such golden dreams are by no means uncommon among the miners a few nights afterwards however he had precisely the same dream and was so convinced that their fortune lay waiting for them under this particular cabin that he succeeded at last in persuading his master to believe it also the master said nothing to any one about the dream but made some pretext for wishing to become the owner of the cabin and finally succeeded in buying it he and his slave immediately moved in and set to work digging up the earthen floor and the dream proved to be so far true that before they had worked all the ground they had taken out twenty thousand dollars there were many slaves in various parts of the mines working with their masters and i knew frequent instances of their receiving their freedom some slaves i have also seen left in the mines by their masters working faithfully to make money enough wherewith to buy themselves of course as california is a free state a slave when once taken there by his master becomes free by law but no man would bring a slave to the country unless one on whose fidelity he could depend niggers in some part of the mines were pretty numerous though by no means forming so large a proportion of the population as in the atlantic states as miners they were proverbially lucky but they were also inveterate gamblers and did not long remain burdened with their unwanted riches in the mines the americans seemed to exhibit more tolerance of negro blood than is usual in the states not that negroes were allowed to sit at table with white men or considered to be at all on inequality but owing partly to the exigencies of the unsettled state of society and partly no doubt to the important fact that a nigger's dollars were as good as any others the americans overcame their prejudices so far that negroes were permitted to lose their money in the gambling rooms and in the less frequented drinking shops they might be seen receiving drink at the hands of white barkeepers in a town or camp of any size there was always a nigger boarding house kept of course by a darkey for the special accommodation of colored people but in places where there was no such institution or at wayside houses when a negro wanted accommodation he waited till the company had finished their meal and left the table before he ventured to sit down i have often on such occasions seen the white waiter or the landlord when he filled that office himself serving a nigger with what he wanted without apparently doing any violence to his feelings a very striking proof was seen in this matter of waiting of the revolution which california life caused in the feelings and occupations of the inhabitants the americans have an intense feeling of repugnance to any kind of menial service and considered waiting at table as quite degrading to a free and enlightened citizen in the united states there is hardly such a thing to be found as a native-born american waiting at table such service is always performed by negroes irishmen or germans 
but in california in the mines at least it was very different the almighty dollar exerted a still more powerful influence than in the old states for it overcame all pre-existing false notions of dignity the principle was universally admitted and acted on that no honest occupation was derogatory and no questions of dignity interfered to prevent a man from employing himself in any way by which it suited his convenience to make his money it was nothing uncommon to see men of refinement and education keeping restaurants or roadside houses and waiting on any ragamuffin who chose to patronize them with as much apressement as an english waiter who expects his customary coppers but as no one considered himself demeaned by his occupation neither was there any assumption of a superiority which was not allowed to exist and whatever were their relative positions men treated each other with an equal amount of deference after being detained a few days in hangtown waiting for letters from san francisco i set out for nevada city about seventy miles north intending from there to travel up the yuba river and see what was to be seen in that part of the mines my way lay through middleton the scene of my former mining exploits and from that through a small village called cold springs to coloma the place where gold was first discovered it lies at the base of high mountains on the south fork of the american river there were a few very neat well-painted houses in the village but as the diggings in the neighborhood were not particularly good there was little life or animation about the place in fact it was the dullest mining town in the whole country the first discovery of gold was accidentally made at this spot by some workmen in the employment of colonel sutter while digging a race to convey water to a sawmill colonel sutter a swiss by birth had some years before penetrated to california and there established himself the fort which he built for protection against the indians and in which he resided is now situated a few miles from where sacramento city now stands i dined at coloma and proceeded on my way having a stiff hill to climb to gain the highland lying between me and the middle fork of the american river crossing the rivers is the most laborious part of california traveling they flow so far below the average level of the country which though exceedingly rough and hilly is comparatively easy to travel but on coming to the brink of this highland and looking down upon the river thousands of feet below one the summit of the opposite side appears almost nearer than the river itself and one longs for the loan of a pair of wings for a few moments to save the toil of descending so far and having again to climb an equal height to gain such an apparently short distance some miles from coloma is a very pretty place called greenwood valley a long narrow winding valley 
with innumerable ravines running into it from the low hills on each side for several miles i traveled down this valley the bed of the creek which flowed through it and all the ravines had been dug up and numbers of cabins stood on the hillsides but at this season the creek was completely dry and consequently no mining operations could be carried on the cabins were all tenantless and the place looked more desolate than if its solitude had never been disturbed by man at the lower end of greenwood valley was a small village of the same name consisting of half a dozen cabins two or three stores and a hotel while stopping here for the night i enjoyed a great treat in the perusal of a number of late newspapers among others the illustrated news containing accounts of the great exhibition in the mines one is apt to get sadly behind in modern history the express men in the towns made a business of selling editions of the leading papers of the united states containing the news of the fortnight and expressly got up for circulation in california of these the most popular with northern men was the new york herald and with the southerners the new orleans delta the illustrated news was also a great favorite being usually sold at a dollar while other papers only fetched half that price but unless one happened to be in some town or village when the mail from the states arrived there was little chance of ever seeing a paper as they were all bought up immediately i struck the middle fork of the american river at a place called spanish bar the scenery was very grand looking down on the river from the summit of the range it seemed a mere thread winding along the deep chasm formed by the mountains which were so steep that the pine trees clinging to their sides looked as though they would slip down into the river the face of the mountain by which i descended was covered with a perfect trellis work of zigzag trails so that i could work my way down by long or short tacks as i felt inclined on the mountain on the opposite side i could see the faint line of the trail which i had to follow it did not look by any means inviting and i was thankful that for the present at any rate i was going downhill walking down a long hill however so steep that one dare not run though not quite such hard work at the same time as climbing up is equally fatiguing in its results as it shakes one's knees all to pieces i reached the river at last and crossing over in a canoe landed on the bar what they call a bar in california is the flat which is usually found on the convex side of a bend in a river such places have nearly always proved very rich that being the side on which any deposit carried down by the river will naturally lodge while the opposite bank is generally steep and precipitous and contains little or no gold indeed there are not many exceptions to the rule that in a spot where one bank of a river affords good diggings the other side is not worth working 
the largest camps or villages on the rivers are on the bars and take their name from them the nomenclature of the mines is not very choice or elegant the rivers all retained the names given to them by the spaniards but every little creek flat and ravine besides of course the towns and villages which have been called into existence have received their names at the hands of the first one or two miners who have happened to strike the diggings the individual pioneer has seldom shown much invention or originality in his choice of a name in most cases he has either immortalized his own by tacking ville or town to the end of it or has more modestly chosen the name of some place in his native state but a vast number of places have been absurdly named from some trifling incident connected with their first settlement such as shirt-tail canyon whiskey gulch port wine diggings humbug flat murderer's bar flapjack canyon yankee jim's jackass gulch and hundreds of others with equally ridiculous names spanish bar was about half a mile in length and three or four hundred yards wide the whole place was honeycombed with the holes in which the miners were at work all the trees had been cut down and there was nothing but the red shirts of the miners to relieve the dazzling whiteness of the heaps of stones and gravel which reflected the fierce rays of the sun and made the extreme heat doubly severe at the foot of the mountain as if they had been pushed back as far as possible off the diggings stood a row of booths and tents most of them of a very ragged and worn-out appearance i made for the one which looked most promising a canvas edifice which from the huge sign all along the front assumed to be the united states hotel it was not far from twelve o'clock the universal dinner hour in the mines so i lighted my pipe and lay down in the shade to compose myself for the great event the american system of using hotels as regular boarding-houses prevails also in california the hotels in the mines are really boarding-houses for it is on the number of their boarders they depend the transient custom of travelers is merely incidental the average rate of board per week at these institutions was twelve or fifteen dollars and the charge for a single meal was a dollar or a dollar and a half the united states seemed to have a pretty good run of business as the hour of noon feeding time approached the miners began to congregate in the bar-room many of them took advantage of the few minutes before dinner to play cards while the rest looked on or took gin cocktails to whet their appetites at last there could not have been less than sixty or seventy miners assembled in the bar-room which was a small canvas enclosure about twenty feet square on one side was a rough wooden door communicating with the salle a manger to get as near to this as possible was the great object and there was a press against it like that at the pit door of a theatre 
on a benefit night as twelve o'clock struck the door was drawn aside displaying the banqueting hall an apartment somewhat larger than the bar-room and containing two long tables well supplied with fresh beef potatoes beans pickles and salt pork as soon as the door was opened there was a shout a rush a scramble and a loud clatter of knives and forks and in the course of a very few minutes fifty or sixty men had finished their dinner of course many more rushed into the dining-room than could find seats and the disappointed ones came out again looking rather foolish but they guessed there would be plenty to eat at the second table having had some experience of such places i had intended being one of the second detachment myself and so i guessed likewise that there would be plenty to eat at the second table and calculated also that i would have more time to eat it in than at the first we were not kept long waiting in an incredibly short space of time the company began to return to the bar-room some still masticating a mouthful of food others picking their teeth with their fingers or with sharp-pointed bowie knives and the rest with a most provokingly complacent expression about their eyes making horrible motions with their jaws as if they were wiping out their mouths with their tongues determined to enjoy the last lingering aftertaste of the good things they had been eating rather a disgusting process to a spectator at any time but particularly aggravating to hungry men waiting for their dinner when they had all left the dining-room the door was again closed while the table was being relayed in the meantime there had been constant fresh arrivals and there were now almost as many waiting for the second table as there had been for the first a crowd very quickly began to collect around the door and i saw that to dine at number two as i had intended i must enter into the spirit of the thing so i elbowed my way into the crowd and secured a pretty good position behind a tall kentuckian who i knew would clear the way before me very soon the door was opened when in we rushed pell-mell i labored under the disadvantage of not knowing the diggings being a stranger i did not know the lay of the tables or whereabouts the joints were placed but immediately on entering i caught sight of a good-looking roast of beef at the far end of one of the tables at which i made a desperate charge i was not so green as to lose time in trying to get my legs over the bench and sit down and in so doing perhaps be crowded out altogether but i seized a knife and fork with which i took firm hold of my prize and occupying as much space as possible with my elbows i gradually insinuated myself into my seat without letting go the beef i then took a look round and had the gratification of seeing about a dozen men leaving the room with a most ludicrous expression of disappointment and hope long deferred i have no doubt that when they got into the bar-room they guessed there would be 
lots to eat at table number three i hope there was i know there was plenty at number two but it was a grab game every man for himself if i had depended on the waiter getting me a slice of roast beef i should have had the hungry number threes down upon me before i had commenced my dinner good humor however was the order of the day conversation of course was out of the question but if you asked a man to pass you a dish he did so with pleasure devoting one hand to your service while with his knife or fork as it might be in the other he continued to convey the contents of his plate to their ultimate destination i must say that a knife was a favorite weapon with my convives and in wielding it they displayed considerable dexterity using it to feed themselves with such things as most people would eat with a spoon if eating for a wager or with a fork if only eating for ordinary purposes after dinner a smart-looking young man opened a monte bank in the bar-room laying out five or six hundred dollars on the table as his bank for half an hour or so he did a good business when the miners began to drop off to resume their work end of chapter nine